Well, today we want to start with the end in mind, and I want to do that by reading the last couple of verses of Romans chapter 6, so I'd encourage you to turn there uh, as we look at the last half of Romans chapter 6 as our text today. It's a similar theme to what the first half of Romans 6 was, but it's a bit of an opposite view. The first half of Romans 6 was more about freedom. The last half of Romans 6 is more about slavery. And so we're going to look at that, but I want to begin by looking at the end, at the last couple of verses, and then we'll go back uh, to, to verse 15. So verse 22 and 23, uh, 23, one of the most uh, well-known passages that you might be familiar with in Scripture. Paul is saying this, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So again, as I said, that last verse, one of the most well-known passages of the wages of sin are death. And it gives a summary, this last two verses, in many ways of a lot of the gospel and captures much of that. But it talks about wages. It talks about a payout. It talks about the fact that there are wages of sin. And we'll see today that we are free to choose one of two masters, but that we must choose. And each one pays its own kind of currency, its own kind of wage. The word here that is used in the original language for wages is actually a word that means a stipend for a soldier. It means the payment for a soldier, somebody who gives allegiance to, somebody who takes their marching orders from, the master, and it's payment for that. So Paul is saying, if your allegiance is to sin, the payout is death. And in contrast, he says that God has a gift for you. Not a wage, not a payout, but a gift. And it's this gift of eternal life that begins now. In the message paraphrase, Eugene Peterson says it this way, that last part of that verse. He says, work hard for for sin your whole life, and your pension is death. But God's gift is real life, eternal life. Delivered by Jesus, our master. So there's this incredible gift of this eternal life that begins now that is this amazing alternative gift that we can choose. So here's where Paul is leading us in this text, and it's the end that we come to. But let's see how he got there and go back up to verse 15 with this now in mind of of where we'll kind of land at the end. So in verse 15, Paul says, and he starts again with a rhetorical question. He did that in, in chapter in verse 1 of, of this chapter, in chapter 6. If you flip back to ch- chapter 6, verse 1, he starts with a rhetorical question there as well. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that the grace may increase? By no means. And now in verse 15, he has a similar rhetorical question. He says, so what then? Because earlier in 15, he says, for sin shall no longer be your master, because you're not under the law, but under grace. And then he says, so what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Again, by no means. By no means. So he's asking these rhetorical questions and saying, okay, so what does this mean to live this life of grace? What does it mean to embrace this and to walk uh, in a different way, not under the law, but in freedom? And he's saying it's not freedom from sin in the way that we are free to sin. He says that's not the same thing. Freedom from sin is not the freedom to sin. And freedom from the law is not freedom for lawlessness. He's saying, no, it's, it's different than that. And then in verse 
16, he says, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So Paul here is saying that we are all slaves to someone, to something. We all serve somebody. Some of you are old enough to remember a Bob Dylan song by that name, Gotta Serve Somebody. Okay, let's see those hands. How many remember that song? Nobody wants to admit that. Yeah, terrible. No, I won't say anything about that. Just don't like his singing very much, but others love it. That's good. But he's, he's, the truth of that song is there too, though. It's like you got to serve somebody. You're going to serve Jesus. You're going to serve the devil. You're going to serve somebody. And the truth of that is there. There's another uh, bumper sticker that I adapted that you might see here, and it says it this way. It says, you know what? Be decisive, right or wrong. Make a decision. The road of life is paved with flat gophers who couldn't make a decision. That was adapted specifically for Saskatchewan here. You might want to put that on your car. I don't think this is exactly what Paul's saying, okay? So that's probably not what he's saying. But the point that Paul is making is he's saying we all have to choose. We have to choose one way or another who will serve. Jesus taught that in Matthew chapter 6 where he was teaching about money. He said the very same thing. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So even in Jesus' teaching, he recognizes this truth and he says, you too have to choose a path. Like which one is it that you will serve? One is going to be your master. So don't live under this illusion that you can serve them both. But you have to choose the path that you're going to go and choose who it is that you will be a slave to. And oftentimes, and we know this, it starts with small steps. We don't don't sort of set out to kind of become, you know, a slave of a certain direction or a certain master that we know is not the master that God calls us to. We don't begin that way. We typically don't start with that intentionality. But it starts as we take a step in a certain direction and eventually it leads to this slavery in one direction or another. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he talked about slavery in this way. He said, slavery is actually living in the tyranny of your own self-centeredness. And oftentimes the choice when we think about, okay, do I serve God or serve myself? We subtly and slowly by small decisions decide to serve ourselves and Bonhoeffer says that slavery is actually living in the tyranny of that. Because when we don't serve God and we become the center of our lives and we become the center of our universe, suddenly we see that that actually leads to death. When we become the center of all things. Because you see, freedom is found in God's truth about Christ. And it's not freedom from something as much as it's freedom to follow someone. To follow the living God. To follow the one who leads us to life. So here in this text, we see the metaphor or the teaching about slavery. And Paul uses this very generously. And he's making a very significant point. And this slavery metaphor would have been something that they would have understood uh, very directly and very uh, clearly. I mean, Rome at that time, as Paul was writing to this church in the city of Rome, they would have experienced slaves all over the place. The the city would have been full of slaves at that time. So people felt this on a very personal level. It hit home. It was very relevant to them. It wasn't something that was sort of subjective or this philosophical metaphor or language that was sort of out there. 
it was something that was very close to many of them, many of them even being slaves themselves, or everybody would know a slave or have family members in some way that were connected in this way. So it was something that was very personal and very real, a common practice in ancient times in various forms. You had household or domestic slaves. You think of the story of Abraham and Sarah and their their servant Hagar, a domestic slave like that. There was also state slavery. And so the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, were enslaved to the people of Egypt for all of those hundreds of years. And there was this state slavery that happened over this time that was very prevalent and would have been known in the minds of these people. There was temple slavery. You could purchase slaves. People captured in war became slaves. Children born of slaves became houseborn slaves. If you couldn't pay your debts, you could become a slave. So people understood this language. They understood this all too common practice. But it meant that you were bound in servitude. It meant that you were an instrument of labor for another. And it meant that you essentially had no rights. That your rights were given over to another and that your, the course of your life and the course of every single day was determined by your master. Freedom was hard to come by. People knew that as well too. If you were a slave who could earn some money, you might be able to earn enough money to actually buy your freedom. Or you wait for this year of jubilee which would come around and all the slaves would be set free. But freedom was a long way off for most people who understood slavery. But they knew the metaphor. They understood this metaphor that Paul was talking about. And the background to this would have been the Exodus narrative, this narrative of the people of Israel being set free from slavery from Egypt all of these generations before. It's interesting that both accounts of the Ten Commandments that we see in the Old Testament, they begin with this identical phrase, In Exodus chapter 20 and also in Deuteronomy chapter 5, it says, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And so as they are given even these Ten Commandments and these rules for how to live and what freedom begins to look like, they are told that they have been brought out of the land of slavery because he is the Lord their God. And so this gospel that Paul was teaching was a new exodus. It was a new movement of God. It was a new time, a new era, a new experience of freedom and redemption. Freedom from the slavery of sin and from the slavery of ourselves. Now set apart as a holy people to serve God, to serve the living God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul himself understood this. In fact, he identified himself as a slave of Christ. If you go back even to the very first words that he wrote in this letter in Romans to the Roman people, Romans chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. He says that in the book of Titus too. He greets people in that way. And that word servant is like a bondservant. It's like a slave, a slave or a bondservant to Jesus Christ. He is my master, is what he's saying there. So Paul even uses this language to describe himself, and that's what he's getting to here in this uh, text that we are looking at today, is who is it that you are a slave to? Let's read in verse 17 and 18. Paul continues, and he says, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart 
the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Interesting term. But I love that language that he says that you have this allegiance now that is new, that you are obeying from your heart, that, that this obedience comes from within out of a transformed heart, that you are a transformed people. It's not about obeying the law and just walking in this rigid formality of the Torah, but it is now a changed heart, something from the inside that is completely new and different. And that's where your obedience comes from, is because Christ has changed you. This gospel has transformed you. You have the Holy Spirit and the power of the Spirit of God within you, which, which compels you to walk in obedience and to become a slave of righteousness. That's your passion. That's your master. That's your goal. So that's what Paul is teaching here. This is the path to freedom. Because again, we, we often think that freedom is the removal of all obligations or allegiances or boundaries or restrictions. But it's not. It's the putting in, the pla- in place the right restrictions, the right boundaries, the right allegiances. That's where freedom is found. That's what Paul is saying. That is what leads to true life. In verse 19, he goes on and he says, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. So now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. So Paul is saying, I'm using an example from everyday life that you guys would understand. Slavery. Because it was so prevalent, and as we talked about, it was so common, he's saying, you'll get this. You understand slavery because it's an everyday part of our world today. And for us, I would say, as I was thinking about this text, I was thinking, well, that's not really a prevalent metaphor analogy for us. We don't think of it in the same way. What would be maybe a similar kind of analogy? And what comes to my mind immediately is the analogy of a pathway. What is the pathway that we choose? What is the direction that we take? What is the path that you're on? Because the path that you're on will determine in so many ways where you will end up. And the further you go down a pathway, the more it becomes your master. Because it's harder to turn around. And it's harder to make a change. And it's like an allegiance. It has a payout. It has an outcome. The pathway that you go on. And if you keep reading in verse 20 and 21, Paul is referring to that. He says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit... Did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. So Paul's asking them, what benefit? What, what was the payout of going down that road? What was the payout of having sin as your master? What, what, those things that you were actually ashamed of. And it strikes me that just as physical path, pathways lead to very predictable destinations and locations, our choices lead somewhere. They take us down a path. Sinful choices do the same thing. They, they lead to death. It might be financial death, relational death, the death of trust, the death of intimacy, the death of self-worth. But it leads to some kind of death as we continue down that path. I don't know what kind of movies you all like. Uh, I know one kind of movie that I don't like. I hate horror movies. I've never been able to watch horror movies as a kid. I mean, sure, you watch some of them as you grow up, and you see some of them and those images in your mind, and I, I hate the violence, and they're just, they kind of mess me up because of all the, you know, the blood and gore and guts and all that kind of stuff. And, and they're just kind of ridiculous to me, and so I don't like horror movies or ever watch them. 
And, and the really bad ones are also so predictable, right, too. You have characters who always enter dark homes. And I always wonder, why do you enter that home? Like, don't go through that door. Like, that's just stupid. And, and they always go into the dark woods. Like, it's just always dark, and they're always going somewhere where you just go, okay, no, 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 don't go there. Turn around. Don't go there. That's not a good place to go. Don't go in. And they always go in. It's like, why? Like, you know, and then there's like chainsaws and big machetes and there's blood. And it's like, it's just like death. And then somebody else falls and they go through the same door. And you go, okay, really? Like, this is just dumb. And so, you know, it's sort of like this thing that plays over and over. And and you're kind of watching this and you just, you know where it's going to end up. Like, you know what the outcome is. Right? Maybe that's a bit of what Paul is saying. Maybe. We have a tendency to choose a path oftentimes where we even know how it will end up. Sometimes the path that we go on and sometimes the paths that we take, we kind of go, you know what? Maybe there were signs. Maybe there was something that said, yeah, don't go here. Turn around. Not a good idea. Go back. But we persevere. We go. We go, no, 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 no. This will be better. This will be different this time. I can make it through here. I'll end up in a better place. And you know, I think our sin nature is what keeps us going forward, keeps us moving in this direction, keeps us going down this path, thinking, oh, no, no, this will be okay. This time it will be different. And then the further down the path that we go, it becomes our master. And it's predictable. It's like a horror movie sometimes. Think of parenting. Not that parenting's a horror movie. That's not what I'm saying. But think of parenting, and you go, okay, I want to help my kids. And you watch your kids grow up, and you watch them starting to go down certain paths, and you go, okay, I've been down this path before. I've seen other people go down this path before. Don't go there. Don't go through that door. It's like, no, 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 turn around. Go back. Go a different way. And you try to tell your kids that, but they go, no, 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 this will be fine. I I know where I'm going. And they kind of walk through that door, and you go, yeah, I knew it was going to happen. So in the same way, we're, we see that there's a destination that we sometimes end up at. It's predictable. We've been down that path, we've seen the end, and we say, ah, don't go. And Paul's saying the same thing to the church here. He's saying, you know, when you, cho- when you choose a master that is sin, even in its most subtle forms, in its most innocent forms, and you kind of keep going down that pathway, there's a payout. And sometimes we like to go down that path because we think, wow, we've got to experience life on our own. And, and experience is a good teacher. Yeah, and that's true. But experience can also be a brutal teacher. And even though we can go down these paths and God can forgive and God can redeem and God can heal, if we can help people and say, you know what? You don't need to have that brutal teaching in your life. Just don't go down this path. That's what Paul is saying to the church here. He says, the wages of sin is death. Sin pays a wage. There's a cost. It's relentless. It's a daily cost. It's a wage that is paid over and over again. You know, people who struggle from certain addictions, they they know this more than anyone. Whether it's addictions of drugs or gambling or alcohol or pornography or lying or take your pick... But if it's, a, if it's these addictions that just sort of relentlessly hold us, that they have become our master, they exercise this total, totalizing control in our lives, and there's costly payment on a regular basis, even when you know the horrid consequences. Because it becomes the strongest impulse that the addict knows. 
but it has a predictable payout. I had a friend of mine many years ago who was a godly man, loved the church, co-worker of mine, and loved his, loves his family. He's got a great family, and he started down this path that seemed innocent at the time in some ways. I don't even know why he did it, but he started just adding some personal expenses on his corporate business card, just sort of submitting those and having the organization pay for his personal expenses and started with small things, then it got larger, and it went on for years, and they were all small items, so they went largely undetected somehow. Eventually led to thousands of dollars of embezzlement. It was a path. It was a path that became his master. It was a path that he couldn't turn around from. It's a path that had a big payout, a painful one. He lost his job. He lost his career. He lost many friends. He lost his reputation and his credibility. Sadly, he lost a lot of his Christian witness. It was death on so many levels. And it was so unnecessary. If you look at the story, there's another story in in Proverbs chapter 7. You may want to turn there and just look at this story. And Proverbs chapter 7 is a story that is an all too well-known story that as a pastor I've seen played out in various forms in so many instances with death as the outcome. Here's Solomon, he's the words of wisdom here and he's talking about the adulterous woman and the payout and the pathway that this leads to. He says, my son, keep my words and store up my commands within you and Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on your heart. Do whatever it takes to just remember these words. And they will keep you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. And then it sort of has this objective view and this this looking from a window. And it says, at the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice and I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near the corner, walking along in the direction of her house as twilight was fading. And it goes on and it tells this story. And it's sort of this objective view of watching this young man go into this destination in this direction that does not lead anywhere good. And it's this pathway that will lead to death. And it says, Then came out a woman to meet him dressed like a prostitute with a crafty intent. And she's a seducer. And she invites him into her her bed And she says, come, let's drink deeply of love until the morning. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. And all at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my son... My sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims that she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. And it's just the words of wisdom in Proverbs that speak of this pathway and the payout that comes with it. And again, too many of us have seen this play out or have experienced this play out in ways that lead to so much pain. When we start to walk down this path in one form or another, in one way or another, and we see the payout that comes with that. 
In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, just a few uh, chapters earlier, it says this, Guard your hearts above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Even as Paul is saying in Romans 6 about how the obedience comes from the transformed heart, he says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And then in chapter 4, verse 25 and 27 of Proverbs, it says, Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet. And be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. Wise words. Choose your path carefully. And as I said, the further that we go down these paths, these seemingly innocent paths, these seemingly kind of neutral paths, but then you get farther and farther and farther down the path until it becomes your master. And each pathway or master has a specific payout or wages. And so choose carefully. Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, as he's writing to the church in Corinth, he also uses this language and he says, you know what, you were bought at a price. This incredible gospel that comes to you as a free gift did not come at no cost. It came at a very high cost. God himself through Jesus Christ dying on the cross for you. It came at a high price. And he says, you were not your own. You were not your own. Honor God with your bodies, therefore. To the church in Galatia, he's teaching them and he's saying to them about not adding the law of Moses and don't add this legalism back into this freedom that you have in Christ. He says, that's not the way. It's not the way to freedom. And he says, no, 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 don't do that. Is, and he says in Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So again, he uses this teaching, this analogy. So the question for us is, what is it that has become our master? What are the subtle masters in our lives that we maybe don't even recognize? Maybe it's legalism that's become our master, rule-keeping, Maybe it's money, like Jesus was talking about in Matthew 6. Maybe it's being popular or like, maybe it's being powerful or who knows, something else. But Paul's saying we're not neutral. And the path isn't neutral. We need to choose our path. We need to choose our master. And we need to ask the question, where is it that our allegiance will lie? Because every person has a master, either obedience to God or sin. And you see, a Christian is not somebody who cannot sin, but somebody who is no longer a slave to sin. He's saying, you've been set free from that. You don't have to be a slave to that master anymore. But you still have a choice. And Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So the question for us is, have you embraced your calling to be a slave to righteousness? to following Jesus Christ. Because that's where freedom is. So we need to begin with that end in mind. We need to ask the question, where do I want to end up? What's the story that I want to tell? Which path will become our master and what will be the payout? Again, reading verse 22 and 23, and I'll close with this. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord.
Let's pray together. So Heavenly Father, we just come before you today and we thank you that you are a gracious God who forgives us, who transforms us, who redeems the baggage from our past. And Lord, I just pray for anyone here and and each one here that would feel the weight and the burden of sin and of going down a path that has led to death of one kind or another. I just pray that we would know your grace and your forgiveness and that you can make things whole again, that you can make things new again, that you can redeem whatever we've gone through, whatever bad choices we've made, whatever path that we've been down. But God, may you set our feet on higher ground and may you set our feet in your direction to walk in allegiance to you and your righteousness. And so Lord, would you turn us in a new direction, I pray. May you focus us on you. May we see your eyes and your invitation to follow in your ways. Lord, I just thank you for the freedom that is found in you, in being your servant, to walk in your ways as your follower. May we do so out of the transformed heart that you cause in us. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.